Let me pray. May we stand in your power, Lord, remembering that you are the one who holds our souls, who commands our hearts, and who carries us day after day so that we can stand before you in glory forever and ever. Bless us during this time, Lord. May we be enriched in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so who's up to date on the latest technology? <laughs> so I don't know if you guys like iPhones, right? Um, but but uh, the latest flagship iPhone is the iPhone 14, but there's a couple tiers of it. Yeah, it, there's a couple tiers of it. There's the iPhone 14, which is like the poor man's iPhone. Uh, and then there's the iPhone, iPhone 14 Pro, which is like the mid-tier, but you're, you're not quite there. And then there's the last one, which is the iPhone 14 Pro Max. And that one's the big one. It's got the best cameras. It's got the best screen, the best refresh rate, best battery. I mean, the thing's like this big, so it's quite big. Um, but then it also has tiers of, of uh, cost. So the iPhone 14 is like $7.99 at the lowest one. The, the iPhone uh, 14 Pro is like $9.99 at the lowest one. But the Pro Max, yeah, that one starts at $1,099. That's the cost of it. That is the manufactured suge manufacturer's suggested retail price. So... When you buy something, when you and I walk into a store, we see that MSRP, right? We see that on the price tag, or maybe we see a sale price. We know that's what it costs. That's what it will cost us to get. But did you know that the iPhone 14 Pro Max, it doesn't cost that much to make? In fact, the estimated cost uh, based on all the data that we can gather for a single iPhone 14 Pro Max is $464. That's including R&D, that's, um, that, that's including shipping, um, that's not including the advertising, all the, all the really sleek videos that they make uh, for their announcement events and what they spend on that, but, but just in general, like the actual production of, a, of, a, of an iPhone 14 Pro Max, $464. Now, Apple has one of the highest markups of any company out there, uh, so much so that there's, there's, a, um, there, there's a statement that's been around for several years now called the Apple tax. Basically, if you want Apple, you pay the premium because now you got a status symbol, right? Whether you go to a coffee shop and you open your MacBook Pro and everybody sees its sleek design, they know that you're cool, right? Or you got your AirPods in. If you got your AirPods in, people know. They know, right? They look at you and they're like, yeah, that's a cool person. Because you afforded the cost for it. You spent the cost for the Apple tax. Now you got an Apple phone uh, or an Apple device. Um, the reality is that Apple probably only has to sell one-tenth of the models at the uh, $464 price to make all their money back. But they're a company. They're, they're trying to make money, right? Um, e even if they, they uh, sold it at $799, they'd still make money. But, you know, that's not good enough. But I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but the cost of an item doesn't always equal its value, though, right? 
Like, just because, just because you spend $1,099 on an iPhone 14 Pro Max, the dumbest naming scheme. It's like, they, they're like, well, what's a bit of Pro Max? Oh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but, but just because you spend $1,099 on it doesn't mean that throughout your time using it, you're going to get that value back, right? Which is why the average person, the average consumer, waits for something to go on sale so that the cost is down. Maybe they trade in their old device and they wait for some trade-in event where their device that's worth maybe a quarter, uh, they, they can trade in for like 200 bucks because, you know, they can. Uh, that's what I did. My, my phone is actually t uh, over two years old now. I can't even get a warranty on it. That's, that's how old it is. Um, and uh, I won't tell you what I paid for it, but it was a lot less than I should have um, because I, I waited for their Christmas sale. But, but just assuming I spent, you know, let's say $500 on this phone. I've had it for two years. Have I gotten that value out of it? Well, if I really think about it, man, I'll tell you, I spend probably about six hours a day with this phone on, whether it's with my earbuds in, listening to stuff, or watching YouTube on it, which frankly is always a rabbit, a rabbit hole that I'm going to fall down. Um, it's, it's called the YouTube vacuum. It's, it's awful. Um, but but I, I take calls on it. I do basically everything I can do portably on my phone. I would say that I've definitely gotten my value out of it. The screen is nice, it's cracked because, you know, no, no that was me, I dropped it. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I would say that I got the value out of it. I use it as a calculator. So while $1,099 seems like a lot for a phone, man, if you live on your phone, that might actually be worth it. If you actually, if you, if you really want to do this, you could each day set $3 into a little jar. Uh, every day of the year, 365 days a year. At the end of that year, you'd have $1,095. And you would almost be able to afford an iPhone, four, or at that point, iPhone 15 Pro Max. The, the, the bottom one. So, so if, you, if you think about the cost and the value, sometimes you can get something that costs a lot, but might actually represent its value to you. Now, to many of you in this room, I'm sure you're like, yeah, that, nah, I'm not going to spend that much. Uh, I'm sure some of you still have a phone that flips up. If you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. But, but the, the point is that to, to some people, a, a, a high cost is really worth it. Maybe not for the status symbol, because that's vanity, but maybe for the actual use of it. Now... I'm sure you're like, okay, iPhones and, 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 and Pro Max and yeah, whatever. Uh, what does this have to do with the Bible? Well, today we're going to be looking at a text that typically is referred to as counting the cost. But what I want you to think about while we go throughout this is, is the value that we're going to be going through. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 14. We're going to be going through verses 25 to 33. And uh, I want to kind of set your minds in the context here of where this particular statement of Jesus sits in his ministry. He's just fed thousands of people. He, his ministry has bloomed in Capernaum. And he has, he has 
thousands upon thousands of people coming to him on a daily basis to hear his teaching. They're following him everywhere they go or everywhere he goes. His apostles are are engaging with people. I mean, this is a booming time for Jesus's ministry. And as Jesus does, as he normally does, he makes sure that there's a heart check for the people that are following him. At one point, after he feeds, uh, feeds the 5,000 people, I think it's the 5,000, uh, uh, anyway, he, the, he, he goes across the lake, and then everybody follows him, and, and Jesus confronts him and says, I tell you the truth, you didn't come to me because of what I said. You came to me because you wanted to get fed. Jesus is really good at getting to the heart of matters. And so I want you to be sitting in this text. And I want you to be thinking about what Jesus says here, maybe in terms of your own life. So Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet with him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a, far, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is like the anti-evangelism passage. If, <laughs> if, if, if I were to go and start preaching this text on a street corner, I can guarantee everyone will leave. <laughs> um, probably something similar would happen if I start preaching the truths about hell. But there's four costs that Jesus gives in this text to, to following him, to being his disciple. The first one is that you got to hate your family. Um, now, before my ki own kids start celebrating in the back here, the fact that following Jesus means that you have to hate your siblings, uh, let, let me explain. Hate, in this context, is, is a comparison. It doesn't mean that I have to call my mom and dad today and say, listen, I love Jesus, therefore I hate you right? Um, or even better, I don't have to act like a teenager. I hate you, mom, right? <laughs> That's not the point. To love Jesus and follow after Jesus means that your love for him is so great that by comparison, your love for your family looks pretty minuscule. There are a lot of people who live for the approval of their parents or live for the love of their children who, who do every little possible thing, spend every waking moment serving their, their parents, their kids, their siblings. 
There are people who, who, who in every way could be evangelists for their kids, right? Man, my kid is so great. I've got every honor roll bumper sticker on the bumper of my vehicle. You know where my kid goes to school, and you know that they're amazing, right? Or, uh, or, or, or the, the person who says, you know, um, I, I, I would like to be able to do this thing that I know I'm supposed to do, but gosh, I got to check with my parents first. Got to get their approval. If somebody loves their, their family so much that they, uh, that they can't obey God, it's a problem. Um, I actually know a family right now, uh, which if, if you... <laughs> Rachel, if you knew who this was, you'd actually think it's funny. Uh, but I know a family who's serving right now as missionaries in Cambodia. Now, if you know what Cambodia is, it's a third world country. In fact, it's one of the most third world, third world countries, right? Like there's, there's places that are technically third world countries, and then, and then there's places that might as well be qualified as a toilet, and that's, that's Cambodia. Cambodia is awful. So I, I, know, I know a guy and his wife that are serving as missionaries in, in California. Um, they love Jesus so much that they moved. Uh, what did I say? California? I meant Cambodia, uh, if, I, if I did say California, but same, same diff. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 uh, so they love Jesus so much that they moved to Cambodia to bring the gospel to the, to the people in Cambodia. Um, they, they've had two children there. One of them was not an easy birth. And, uh, and while they, their two children survived and, and, and the wife is, is doing well, to a worldly person who looks at their lives would go, why did you leave the United States of America, one of the top medical countries in the world, to move to a country that should be qualified as a toilet? You, they don't even have access to, to proper medicine. Antibiotics are like a future tense there. Why would you move there? Why would you take your children there? The education there is poor. Clearly, these people hate their children. No. No, they love Jesus. They love Jesus enough to simply follow him at the cost of maybe looking like they love their kids uh, with a hatred. For them, the cost of following Christ is infinitely better or infinitely more important than, than it would be to just love their kids and be in the United States and have a blue-collar job. There's really a great cost to following Christ. I know of missionaries who have lost their children to illnesses in these third world countries. And not even in third world countries, but have lost their kids to illnesses that would have been preventable here. I know of a family that, that had a kid that started seizing and was paralyzed for a time because of a bat that lived in their attic. That wouldn't have happened in the United States. but it happened in these other nations. To love Jesus so much that you hate your family enough to move them there in a worldly sense, that's a heavy cost, friends. The second cost of following Christ that Jesus gives here is to hate your own life. 
Friends, if your kids are dying from preventable diseases in another country, you're going to be filled with despair. When, when uh, my, my friend, the guy that I know, his wife, their second pregnancy was not like the first. The first was like, was like, oh, look, there's a baby bump. And oh, look, there's a baby. I mean, it just, it felt like it went by really quick for them. Uh, I get little uh, emails from them frequently. But the second one was not like that. The second one was like, was like okay, we're going to put her on bed rest because we're not really sure what's happening. And they had to travel across, uh, across a, an ocean to get checked out to make sure that she could get some of the treatment that she needed. But as soon as she got the treatment that she needed, you know what? She went straight back to Cambodia. I, I can guarantee that this guy, this missionary Josh, was wondering if he'd made the wrong choice. If he was doing the right thing. Following Christ can cost you your own life, your children's lives, your spouse's life. It can cost you jobs. It can cost you income. It can cost you countless other things of grand worth to a worldly person. But to somebody that knows that the cost of following Jesus is worth it, is of value to them, then they're, they're, they're able to follow Jesus and hate their own life. Again, by comparison, love Jesus so much that it looks like you hate your own life. This is not a call to be self-deprecating. Jesus is not saying, listen, you have to be depressed and sit in the corner and grab a, a, a whip and just start hitting yourself to make sure you hate your, hate your life properly. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. To truly follow Christ is to be mocked by the godless and the worldly in this world. To be shamed and shunned because you love Jesus so much that you look like you hate yourself. Following Christ might even look like you're carrying your own method of execution. And the third cost is, is that you bear your own cross. It's been said countless times before, but I'll say it again. Crucifixion was a painful, shameful, and barbaric method of execution. Uh, the word excruciating, which we in our dictionaries means extremes pain, extreme pain, it, it quite literally, out of the Greek word it's come from, means out of the cross. <laughs> to have excruciating pain is to, is to suffer pain that's akin to what somebody dying on a crucifix, on a cross, would endure. But it's not just that. Uh, if you were, if you were uh, sentenced to death on a cross, you were stripped down to your underwear, and then you had to carry your method of execution up a hill to a public road that comes into the city, you, and uh, this, not a, not a light piece of wood, it's not like you're carrying two two-by-fours, right? This, these are tree trunks, uh, somewhere between seven and nine feet in height, that you have to drag while crowds laugh at you in your underwear. I mean, this is, this is a nightmare, right? We've all had that nightmare where we wake up at Blockbuster in our underwear, or school in our underwear, and it's, it's awful, right? Um, <laughs> so, so uh, not really, it's, it's a nightmare. But, but, the po but the point is, the point is that it's shameful. And then you are nailed 
with giant railroad spikes of a nail right through two little bones that come into a V right here, and you are hung by those two little bones with your arms stretched out, and you suffocate as people coming into the town see you and laugh at you. Those are the last things you see on earth. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it costs you your life or your dignity in this life? Because that's the cost. I know of a lot of people who looked like they were following Christ for a long time, but the moment it got difficult, the moment it looked like they might actually suffer for the sake of the cross, they walked away. You can have a goat grow up in a sheep pen. It might sound like a sheep, it might act like a sheep, but when it gets older, you can tell that it's not a sheep. It matures into a goat. It might look like it's part, or it might act like it's part of the herd, but it's not part of the herd. That's the story of the ugly duckling, right? And so when, 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 when I see these people walk away, do you know what I do? I plead with them. I give them the gospel. I, I beg them to not do it. And most of the time they go, I know why you're doing that. I grew up in church. I know what that sounds like. Um, and I know that this is you caring, but, but, but you need to take a step back because this is what's right for me. Friends, if you have not suffered worldly shame for following Christ, then you may not have been following Christ very closely. Following Jesus means that you love him more than you love your family. You love him more than you love your own life. You do what he expects of you instead of what those around you might expect of you. If it's going to be in opposition it means that, that you might be putting your own life or livelihood on the line. It means that bearing Christ as your master might bring you shame and or pain in this world. Oh, but that's not enough. Those are only three of the costs. There's a fourth cost to following Jesus. It's in verse 33, 1433. As if that's not enough, we're told that if you do not renounce all that you have, you cannot be his disciple. To renounce or give up all that you have for the sake of following someone who died 2,000 years ago is inconceivable to a worldly person. To follow after this potential myth, what's wrong with you? And even more so, people who were following Jesus at that point, they're like, man, I followed you because you fed me. I followed you because you told off the Pharisees. I followed you because you stood up to Rome, and I expect you to be the new king to rise and to become this, the, the new leader of Jerusalem to lead us into the new messianic age. And then he says, you have to renounce all that you have. How many do you think departed? How many do you think walked away and they're like, yeah, that's too much? 
Jesus gives us two examples also in this text. He gives us the man who desired to build a tower, right? Um, uh, imagine you are trying to build a barn on your property, right? You, you've got you to park some stuff or you've got to put some animals in this thing. And so you go ahead and you buy all the concrete to lay a foundation, you uh, rent an excavator, you uh, level the ground, you lay the concrete, you have your giant concrete slab, and then you open your wallet and flies come out, right? Oh no, you spent all your money. Imagine your neighbors. Didn't you look at your bank account before? <laughs> what? what? Oh, you an idiot? Yeah, 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 I am. This was a man who wanted to build a tower, probably a silo to, to store grain, um, and he's viewed as a, as, a, as a fool, rightly so. He was a dreamer with lofty goals, but no funds or training to follow through. All who see that man's unfinished work mock him because he did not count his cost. He did not add it up before he started the process. Such are those who think following Jesus is easy. Such are those who think that following Jesus will make their lives better. Such are those who simply aren't ready to face the reality that following Jesus costs you everything. The Apostle Paul showed people what it's like to follow Jesus. He wrote, he, he wrote to the Corinthians. You know, every once in a while you hear that statement, God will never give you more than you can bear. Okay, here's Paul's response to that. Uh, he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's the cost of following Jesus. But he also goes on. He says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's what it looks like to love Jesus so much, to follow him, to give him your everything. Ultimately, you find that there is a value in following Jesus. The other example is of the king who, uh, who couldn't defeat the other king. He makes war with this guy. He doesn't consider, hey, my army is this big and their army is that big. He just makes war with the guy. The time for war comes. Uh, he sees the enemy army coming and goes, oh, yeah, no. Hey, uh, hey, hey you, uh, go, go, uh, you're the peace delegation. Uh, go, go to them and, and say that I want peace before this comes to bloodshed. The dude's bluffing. <laughs> he, he gives up when the going gets tough, right? <laughs> this isn't just someone who, uh, this is someone who sees losing on the horizon. This is a person who departs Christ when they think that maybe, maybe Jesus does want me to serve him. Maybe Jesus does want me to follow after him and, 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 and spend time in his word and, and pray and, and, and do things at church. No, 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 no. <laughs> Go be my peace delegate. Those who do not count the cost of following Jesus and the cost of loving Jesus are doomed to look like fools. 
And all of us know these people. All of us who know Jesus know these people. We weep for these people. We break for these people because we, we know them. They were in our Bible studies. They came to our potlucks. They brought food to our potlucks. But then at some point, they walk away and they go, yeah, you know, I don't really need church anymore. Oh, my job's got me working on Sundays and, uh, you know, that was six years ago and I'm not actually working on Sundays anymore, but uh, I, don't need to, I don't need church. Nature is my church. Have you ever heard that one? Oh, that drives me absolutely bonkers. Anyway, but, 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 but the... They, they look at the cost of following Jesus. They count the cost and determine it's not enough. But the reality is that they don't see the value of following Jesus. If the cost of following Jesus is so high, what do you think his followers get in return? What do they get in return? Why do we follow Jesus? Not just eternal life. But we get the God and creator of all life. This is the Jesus who when baptized, a voice from heaven shouts out, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God can't say that about any of us. (laughs) He can't look at any of us and say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Why? Because we are sinful. Jesus is the only one that we can rightly say with Paul in Colossians 1.19, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We can't say that about us. The only one, with Colossians 2.2-3, Paul says later that, or later that Jesus is the one in whom all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is infinitely wise, infinitely knowing. He's the one who David writes about in Psalm 16 saying, you, have made, or you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Following Christ means that you are in right relationship with God, who who at his right hand, readily available, are infinite and unending joy and pleasure, whose glory is so astounding and wonderful that Moses couldn't even look at God, but instead looked at his back. And it made his face shine, or it burned his skin off. We don't really know. The word is ambiguous. It's the same word for shiny bone. When we see that his face shone, it's the same word. So God is the first one who ever rocked anybody's face off, not Van Halen. Anyway. (laughs) But but this this is what we get. We're not just following Jesus and expending ourselves over and over again. We're not just having our cup empty out and having us sit and feel horrible all the time. That's not what following God is. If we learn our lesson like Paul does, then we find that the more feeble we become, the more we're humbled enough to see how grand God is. So who is this Jesus? He's the one who comes on the scene and John the Baptist cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
You're, this is who we're following. We're following the Passover lamb, the one who was willing to take our sin and our shame and be nailed to the cross with it, a perfectly righteous one, the only one who can be said, rightly said again, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What wonder is this, friends? We're not following a man who died 2,000 years ago. Well, we are, but we're also following a man who was resurrected from the grave, who ascended and is right now seated at the right hand of his Father in glory, who is present right here through the presence of his Holy Spirit, who rules and reigns as the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God. This is what we get. Is there enough value in that? Are you willing to spend your life to bear your sin and your shame, to follow this? Is there enough value in Jesus, the one who constantly shows an infinite number of providential graces? How many of you have flown on a plane? When it landed, did you say, thank you, Lord? Did you, did you know that planes take off and land over 10,000 times a day and God in every single one of those incidences is involved? And it's funny, when you listen to the worldly newscasters, when one crashes, they say, you know, they say something to the effect of, where was God in this? This is so awful. How could this happen? But they ignore the other 9,999 providences that occurred that day. Jesus is the one who in heaven they sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Whenever we read, by the way, that Jesus died for all people, this is what it's referring to. Jesus died for all kinds of people, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Can you do that? Could Buddha do that? Can our governor do that? Definitely not. <laughs> There's enough value in Jesus and in, in giving everything to Jesus that I could, I, could, I could read for days of how wonderful and worthy Jesus is for you to give up your measly life to follow him. Paul says it fantastically too in Ephesians 1. He sa- it, but Paul always starts out with some wonderful praise of God before he starts punching people in the face with, uh, with their sins. But, but he starts out Ephesians 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pause there. What's the value of following Jesus? You are adopted as God's child. Jesus is your elder brother. Jesus is the one who you can look at and say, you, you died for me and I deserve none of it. And yet, following after him means that God has done that for you. 
He goes on, in him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times, or time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Is there enough value in that? Is it, are you worth giving up? Is it worth renouncing all your stuff to have redemption through Jesus' blood, to have forgiveness of your trespasses, to be lavished with riches of his grace, to be given wisdom and insight, to know the mystery of God's plan that was meant to culminate in Jesus dying on the cross? Is that worth it? I hope you say yes. If the answer is no, and you've counted the cost, and you think, hey, you know what, but I really do like my object. I like, I like my car. I like my, my Nintendo Switch. I like my cell phone, my iPhone 14 Pro Max. I won't give that up for Jesus. Nuh-uh. Then you, you're, you're the fool. It's worth giving up all of it to follow Jesus. For me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. Friends, we have an eternity before us. Our time here is nothing. You should be able to lose everything tomorrow and look at Jesus and say, you're enough. There was a Scottish preacher who, uh, his name is Robert Murray McShane uh, in, the, in the 1800s. He, 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 we have a whole bunch of his letters collected. Um, he died young, and, uh, and he, he wrote to a friend of his who was really struggling. And he, he said, listen, for every look at yourself, you should take 10 looks at Christ. Jesus gave us four looks at ourselves today. That means we should be taking 40 looks at Christ. So that we can say with Paul, I count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, which in... Sunday school, about a month ago, we discovered that that actually is a swear word. He count, we count them as poo, right? In order that we may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Listen, you'll never be good enough to be God's favorite. Never, ever, ever. But Jesus died so that you can have God's favorite, uh, favoriteness covering you. We stand not by our own righteousness that comes by the law, but we put our faith in the one who is nailed to the cross. Following Christ costs us everything. But what we gain in following him, the value in, in, in following him is incomparable to anything we might lose. Some of you are in, what, what, what do they call them, the twilight years of your life, right? Like the, the, the sun is fading. <laughs> I, such, a, such a dumb poetic phrase. But many of you have followed Christ your whole life. And many of you might be sitting here thinking, 
gosh, I never counted it. And, you know, Jesus has been good to me. And, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know why this guy's talking about how much it could cost. It wasn't that bad. If that's the case, then you need to sit down and recount that cost. There is nothing in this world that will ever satisfy us the way Christ will for eternity. Or the old statement, when you die, right, you can't take nothing with you. Came into this world the way you, or you leave this world the way you came in, whatever those phrases are. Jesus gives us great providence now to sustain us in a world that hates us, that shames us, that mocks us, that laughs at us, that thinks we're fools. Jesus cares for us as our family scorns us. As we, as, as we, we face shame and trial from those we love. Jesus is there to guard us when people say, gosh, you're such an idiot. Why, why don't you do this other thing instead of following this Jesus character? But we follow the lamb, the one who takes away our sins. And we are happy if we're truly Jesus's to forsake all that we have to follow him because all that we gain is incomparable to what we've lost. Let me pray and then we'll sing one more song. Lord, help us to look to you. Help us to count the cost. Remind us, Lord, of the things that we, we need to give up in order to follow you, whether it's our comfort, whether it's our success, whether it's, whether it's ease of life. Help us to remember that you are worthy of that, of that though. There is no cost that we could pay that would even begin to compare the cost you paid for our redemption. Lord, let us look to you. In your name I pray. Amen.